Welcome back to Lupin Point, where we try to understand what makes people good at what they do. This week's episode features Christina Ellis. Christina runs marketing for Ellis Island, a family-owned and operated local casino in Las Vegas just located off the Strip. Christina is a USC grad and is working on an MBA in Masters of Hospitality here at UNLV. We talk about the benefits of knowing your audience, connecting with your customer, and how big data, small data, and graphic design are the nexus of marketing in the entertainment capital of the world. I'm TJ. And I'm Zach. And this is Lupin Point. All right, we're uh, recording. Great. How you doing, man? Doing good. Good. So we got Christina Ellis here um, of Ellis Island in Las Vegas fame. And... Welcome, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to be to here. Yes. Happy to be here. <laughs> and so I think as we're looking around at our show name, which I have forgotten because I'm a, prof- <laughs> so I'm a professional. Um, no, as we're, you know, looping point, we're starting to try and figure out what makes people good at what they do. And I think you are so interesting in so many ways. And not to gas you up too much here at the start of the show before yeah, you're like, this, yeah. was, <laughs> this is my best performance ever. <laughs> Zach, I'll, I'll be on any time, right? But it's like, between the MBA, the Masters in Hospitality, being in the restaurant industry so much, I think from an early age, there was a lot of it. Having a family in the restaurant industry too. And like yeah. deep, deep ties. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just so much, in casino, right? It's not just a restaurant. Yeah. But there's so, in the front yard, which is terrific and all of my friends love it. I think there's so much that, like, we wanted to grab you, so really uh, appreciate it. Thanks for that. I mean, I feel great after hearing all that, so <laughs> thank you for this uh, confidence boost. Yeah. Uh, we don't tell you that, but I try and toot at least one person's horn in the episode. You definitely do that. At least a 45-second minute of, like, For sure. Yeah. So, um... Just glad to just get that out of the top. So, um, I think maybe if you could just give, for our listeners, but if you could give some background on just, like, who you are... What is Ellis Island, and what does it mean to you? And then what is the front yard? I think that'd be great. Okay, cool. So my name's Christina Ellis, born and raised in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Um, I work for my family business. We have Ellis Island Casino. And then we also have um, some taverns in town, the Mount Charleston Lodge, and like a couple other projects. Um, But yeah, I've lived for my whole life. I did go away to college. I went to USC. Mm where I was a fine arts student, which looking back at it, it's like, wow, mom and dad, very <laughs> trusting um, what I could do with my degree in painting. Mm-hmm. And then um, while I was going to school, I got super into graphic design. That kind of became my main emphasis. Then when I came home from college, I started working for the family business. And I guess technically I started working for the business when I was 12, which is uh, we're a brewery, casino. and Is that legal? Uh, you know it's kind of a gray area it definitely was once legal for your kids to work for you at any time but I do very distinctly remember one time when I was working here the health department came and I did have to hide (laughs) so so yeah gray area on the legality of that but it was great for me because I got really immersed in the business from a very young age so I would work here every summer whether it was starting as a hostess um, I worked in accounting and human resources and would just kind of bop around. And, and even when I was in college, I was probably the only fine arts student that was, like, taking my classes in the fall and then coming home for winter break and, like, doing the cage audit for our casino cage. You know, like, it was a very 
interesting experience because I had like the very creative side of my education but then my uh dad specifically it was always the deal like okay well you're gonna have some like business training <laughs> so that was kind of what I would do over summers and no, that's super interesting I already <laughs> take that a number of directions <laughs> but like did you always know that you wanted to be I, I guess how does that look when you're 12 and you're like I could go hang and your dad, your dad's like, no, you could out of the cage, right? Or like, how, how did that conversation go or look like? Or did, was it always fun for you, or was it always kind of being with the family, or was it kind of doing your chores at times, right? Um, I think that for, uh, I mean, okay, I am like a a pretty boring person. In the fact that I like really like having work to do, mm-hmm. even from a very young age, like. I am a Capricorn. Like, I am so (laughs) boring, and I love having work. And so when I remember being in such a young age and thinking, like, oh, this is so exciting. Like, I loved coming to work. I loved interacting with guests. I loved, like, getting tips for doing Mm -hmm. to-go orders and things like that. And so, yeah, of course, I can. I mean, not even a few times when I think back on that can I remember being like, oh, man, I have to go to work today. Yeah. But, you know, now, of course, yeah, there's some days where I'm like, oh, man, I have to go to work today. But, but yeah, from a very young age, it was like, oh, this is such a fun thing that I get to do, and none of my friends can do it, and I have so many stories. And it was I remember it so fondly mm-hmm. while I was doing it, which I think is, is unique because it was able to be, like, very immersive and learning, but also was very fun because... I got to know the people that work here still today and you know maybe I have blocked out any of the like frustrating memories that I had <laughs> but but for the sake of saying that I haven't I, I remember it so fondly mm, that's really really cool because and it's interesting so like I worked for I interned for Pinnacle and then I worked for Penn for three months and then COVID but it's always interesting because the focus was like knowing what the data was mm-hmm. and so you say like okay we had you know a certain like a ton of money is coining and i remember when i was an intern we'd go to the casino and be like okay that is coining right and you'd see someone put the you know quarter into the slot machine right mm-hmm. and i think having that reality like that very practical like we brought in money and this and you see it right you're literally counting the dollars and that was in the cage is really of like very a great experience to have just for, I think for anyone to see like how the kind of sausage gets made, but in terms of like the fine arts, like that is a business degree in and of itself. Yeah, and I and also from the standpoint of you know when you work in a casino, so much of it is like interacting with people, yeah. and I think that that is such an important skill to have, and no matter what you do, you know I think that having that customer service experience, even from like from be, being a twelve year old and having to like balance how somebody is so mad that they didn't get their coffee or like the dealer whose lunch order is late having to like emotionally balance those things I think really um made me understand like how people generally speaking like think especially Mm -hmm. when they're hungry or when they just lost a lot of money or when they're you know walking in as a high roller into Ellis Island which is you know a small casino but Mm -hmm. and things like that and, and balancing like okay this is our top player and this you know and 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 so that just really all contributed I, probably to just the way that I interact with people as a whole. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure, right? Seeing, you get, everyone always says that you get more empathetic with customer service representatives, yeah. having been a customer service representative. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that for you, where you see these people on the opposite side of, you know, 
I'll make it up. Like the Zappos helpline. And you're like, oh, I get that having been, you know, when you're frustrated, you're like, well, I'm not going to shout because I have been shouted at when I was 13. <laughs> um, as, you know, I'm sure as an example. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, it, like, the Zappos customer service is such a great example because it's something that's really impossible to, like, totally teach people to understand, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe with me it was, like, kind of um, a little bit easier because I was so young and it was, mm-hmm. like, so formative. Yeah. So at USC, finish your fine arts degree, was it clear that you wanted to come back to Ellis Island? I, I, I guess I'm framing that in my head as, like, the culture of – Fine arts at USC is probably in graphic design in Los Angeles is probably somewhat different than like a small casino in yeah. Vegas. Oh, it was so different. I mean, I would even for whatever reason when you take fine arts classes, there's always like a day or a week or a month where you just like talk bad about Las Vegas. <laughs> like, it just, like it always comes up in every year of my schooling. It came up, and I'm sitting there like wow, this is so interesting. You know, Is it like the Viva Las Vegas sign? Like, it's, No, it's more like the idea. I guess I'm like just saying like graphic design. <laughs> is it like we have a poor branding image or is it like Vegas literally sucks? It's more like the, you know, when you're learning like the aura of things and the mm-hmm. idea of like the Vegas buildings just being replicas of what you would see other yeah. places in the world. <laughs> and you're coming here and it's like this oasis and it's in the desert and you just like come to lose all your money, et cetera, et cetera. Which even at the time, it was like this is such a distant understanding of Las Vegas and when you think about it like you know how much the city has even changed since when I was sitting in a college classroom in like you know 2011 to, through 2014 I guess when I graduated but you know during all that time if you look at how the city has changed and even then it was like this is not really Las Vegas you're thinking of such an outdated concept you know so that was very interesting but to get yeah. back to your question I mean of course there were times when I was like you know, a young, like, 19, 20-year-old, and I loved living in L.A. when I lived there, and I loved all my friends, and I had, like, internships and stuff, and there were times where it was, like, maybe I just want to be a graphic designer, Mm -hmm. but then it really, like, once I, I mean, but the plan was for me to come home and start working for the family, and then once I did, it was, like, okay, this makes so much more sense than (laughs) the graphic design jobs I did or or the other things that I wanted to do, and and it turned like it as it turned, it was like I don't even really miss living in LA. I just miss the people that lived in LA, and they don't even live there anymore. So <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> probably know. come visit. Right, right. probably. <laughs> this is the perfect place to live if you want your friends to come visit too. I mean, I remember I was so popular my first year out of college. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, Christmas break, let's right. go hang out with We're, Christina. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> She's got places for us to stay. Yeah. You know. Memorial Day weekend. Oh my God, Christina, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I was going to work, but <laughs> let's go out. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, I, I mean, maybe just to make sure I'm following. So, you get done, you graduate. And then, was the, the plan was to, for you to come back and work as a graphic designer for Ellis? Or was it just kind of a jack-of-all-trades, manager Type of role. So that was my first job here. Was I was our um, creative director. So I oversaw all of the all of the branding, and I yeah. started and I redesigned our logo, um, and then I just slowly started redesigning stuff. And mm-hmm. then I did that I think for about a year and a half, and then it kind of went from you know because we're a small place, so everybody wears many hats, mm-hmm. and it it kind of went from okay, Christina, like you know how the 
everything works, so can you design this ad? And then it was like, okay, can you like design the rules for the promotion that's going to be in the ad? And then can you can you do the ads? For, can you do the promotions for next month? And then I was just like. I think I'm going to run the department now. And so that became like a very easy transition. And that's where I've been for the past five years now. Got it. So you're advertising director, would that be a fair? I don't know if there's a word for this. So technically I'm our director of marketing. So that's like, you know, the player promotions, Mm -hmm. um, our events, Mm -hmm. uh, any, any advertising that we run, any social media that you see, anything that has our logo on it. Mm -hmm. It's basically everything that like, you would see that would make you think of Ellis or like make you want to come to Ellis Island and then everything you would see while you're on on, uh, on site. Got it. So your experience like growing up in Ellis Island I'm sure prepared you for that but do you feel like your education at USC in fine arts like also prepared you in a different way or do you feel like it's do kind you, of a totally different skill set? And maybe kind of to tag on do you how much do you use that fine arts education? Right. Yeah, I I think that, you know, obviously the schooling got me where I am in my, like, Mm -hmm. ability to sit down and design something. And honestly, I don't know how people get anything done if they can't open a laptop and, like, create a presentation, right? Like, <laughs> like that. I don't know why, but that's just something that is so has become so second nature to me because of having to do so yeah. many of them in school. Yeah. And so, of course, on a day-to-day basis, I'm using my design skills even if I hadn't, like, learned them. You know, like, if it, even if it's not, like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, wow, I remember in school I learned X, Y, and Z. And But then on top of that, when I was in college, I worked for our school newspaper, and I worked for, like, a bunch of different internships. Or, like, you know, I, I actually was freelance. I was freelance when I was in college, and I had a, an internship. And then I would work at the newspaper. So, again, like, always had, like, a handful of jobs yeah. because yes. <laughs> I hate fun, I guess. Yeah. And so um, I <laughs> – and I really credit, like, those opportunities with having me think, like, one, more entrepreneurially with freelancing, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, trying to get new new jobs so I could, you know, get X, Y, and Z – um, but also, like, working at the newspaper really taught me about, like, collaborating and, you know, working on a project with people who didn't all necessarily know about design, but they knew about, like, their specific field. And so I think that a lot of my, like, college experience, I would I would chalk up to, to doing those two things, freelancing and working as this, like, larger team on the newspaper. Got it. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Maybe take us to the front yard, then. Yeah. So, I would. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that's it. That, that's that co-host connection. <laughs> I was the exact same thing. Okay, so so for those that don't know, like give us give us the elevator pitch. Yeah. And, and how it kind of came about and came to life. Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll just like continue on the story because I think that that Yo, outlines it very well. By all means. Okay. Perfect. So I started. And not to interrupt you, but I I feel like I'm on a Disneyland ride and I'm like strapped in <laughs> oh, and yeah. I'm like I'm ready. I got my hands in the Space air. Space yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's all drops and turns. It's all drops. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we started at Ellis Island, and then during that time, we were kind of experiencing this, like, shift. So, for years and years and years, you know, like, let's say from the time I was 12, and before that, to when I was about 22, 23, Mm -hmm. um, the player at Ellis Island was, like, a local player who would come in all the time, and we were, like, a local joint, right? Like, we are really well-known because we have $2 beers, and we have a $7.99 steak special. And so it's like a very value-oriented place. Mm-hmm. But we also have like karaoke and we're a functioning brewery. So those are things that would bring in like 
younger people, yes, but also just like tourists that are looking for fun things to do. Mm -hmm. So then we started to see just by paying a little bit more attention to like our social media and Yelp and kind of establishing an an advertising budget for non-local people, we started to see more non-local people come in. So then, you know, you have like bachelor parties who are coming in for karaoke and you have groups of young people who are just looking for things to do that local people do, you know? And so like you think about when you take a trip, you're going to like, if you go to Nashville, if you've ever been there, you're going to go down like the main drag, but then there's also all these little pockets where you might ask your bartender Mm -hmm. or you might ask your Lyft driver, where do you go to eat or where should I go to go get a drink tonight? Mm -hmm. And if you're in Las Vegas, a lot of the time, thank God for us, people (laughs) will recommend Ellis Island. Mm -hmm. So it was like we built this foundation of really taking care of locals and having these value-oriented price points. And then it came to a head and we started renovating the property and then we started seeing all of these tourists coming through which was awesome and they wanted to go to and as the prices on the strip started getting much much higher Mm -hmm. we kept our prices relatively the same so it was like you know if you're thinking of the vegas experience of course you're going to go to a club of course you're going to go to a fancy dinner but then we kind of started filling that void of where can i go and save my money but still have a lot of fun or where can i go and it's like it's like my cheers in Las Vegas or yeah so is it like an intentional business decision that you guys saw like I don't know like a secular shift of things are getting more expensive on the strip and whatever and we want to be this establishment or is it kind of reactive and like this just happened and you guys were well positioned to to kind of be that cheers because you said you were running ads to attract tourists and it sounds like those ads were very successful Mm -hmm. and it's kind of yes and no like it's actually kind of a little bit of both of what you've just said Mm -hmm. so you know at one point it was like I remember being in this meeting and we were looking at our database and it's like yeah we mail to all of our local players but we have a huge database of people who just come in for the weekend and if we started reaching out to those people they're going to come back next time they come into town or maybe they'll come in sooner because we're giving them X, Y, and Z. So it was, it was identifying that. And then once we had that in place, it was like, okay, well, these people like coming in and they like us. So what if we started running ads outside of, you know, what if we started running aggressive digital ads where we could like pick up more of these people who, who like us and, of course, like Facebook advertising is, is so easy to use and huge. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of trickled into Instagram and whatever else we could run ads on. And so that just kind of started to spread. Hmm. And then, yeah, the conversation. And then and then I would, I would say, too, we started getting more involved in, like, community events. Started, you know, bloggers and people on Twitter started talking more about us. And we started offering stuff. So a little bit of, like, influencer marketing going on there. And then just start, started to build. And then we needed a place to put these extra bodies and so we were thinking of having a patio so we were like yeah what if we and and the design for the front yard you could probably like it was such a a collaborative experience of of creating it but it was like okay we need a place to do weddings because people ask to get married here all the time okay what if it was outside okay but what if it's hot or cold so what if it wasn't closed and then it like the shape came in and it just it was truly like a snowball effect right and it all started with we have all these extra people coming here and we're an older property so what are we going to do 
we have this parking lot with 13 parking spaces, mm-hmm. and we ended up trading that for space for 350 people mm-hmm. to sit and watch sports and hang out. Yeah. Good so, trade. Good trade, <laughs> yeah. I'd make that trade a hundred times. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of where the idea for the front yard came together. And now... And I guess when you say collaborative, is it you? I know you have two sisters. Mm-hmm. So is it you and the two sisters, you and the two sisters, and you know the fam- rest of the family, and then kind of other? Um... So my dad is still like super involved mm-hmm. in El Sound. He's here every day. He checks numbers way better than I ever will. <laughs> he tells us when we miss things, and you know he's very much on here and involved. And so it was it was him a lot like being inspired by when you're in like parts of like downtown Disney and the Seattle public market and just other things that he had, you know, slowly like pulled, pulled photos of and stored them in like his folder on his computer or whatever. And then things that I had pulled like, Oh, well, wouldn't it be cool if it had this and had this Mm -hmm. and I like this and et cetera, et cetera. So it was a lot of that. And then we brought on an architect, we had designers we worked with. So it was like this snowball kept getting traction and the, and then like obviously the finished product is what we see today. Got it. So it sounds like you're, you had this kind of tr- very traditional value prop, right? I was like, we have our local customer, here's our value prop. And then you almost expanded that via Facebook ads, uh, Instagram ads, the influencer marketing, um, all of that stuff to kind of get person two, which is the um, outsider, right? The person visiting here for the trip. And you're saying we can still fill that, you know, your table limits are probably not the $10 craps, it's five or $2 craps, $3 craps, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, your money just goes a little bit further at Ellis Island. So now you have two and you're trying to run both of those tracks parallel. Is that kind of an accurate summation of what occurred? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and, and and luckily, I mean, we the one thing that we have, um, have really tried to maintain with changes that we made and new people that we brought to property is... We want to make, like, our local customer base is, like, the base that made us. Mm-hmm. And so we're not trying to, like, change so any of those people don't feel comfortable walking yes. in the door, right? Like, like we want to make it so people who walk in are like, oh, cool, that mm-hmm. we can do this here now. Or, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm just going to sit at the slot machine where I'm used to, and maybe I'll just, like, bring home a, a better dinner from the mm-hmm. front yard. Than, or, you know, like, a, a, a fancier or whatever kind of dinner. It's got to be a delicate balance, right? Yeah. It is, yeah. And, and even with, like, events and, you know, music you're bringing to property mm-hmm. and things like that, it's like, okay, but, you know, what time can we do this where everybody, like, somebody who walks out there isn't going to feel, like, turned off by that experience Mm -hmm. because it is like and i think you said it's such a fine balance where the front yard you know to me it is a very clear distinction where it's like this is ellis island old vegas and then the front yard is kind of the cool hip millennial and still great prices right connor and i joke about the uh steak and frites just being a deal you can't ignore (laughs) and i think um and, and it, I think it is a very well done separation of those two, like, you know, person one and person two, and you kind of just grew that separately. So, is that, do you see that at all in like your numbers or business? Has that been um, successful, I guess, successful in growing? Do you, do you see that bump in revenue if you're like, I had, you know, twice as many customers or whatever that looks like? Yeah, I mean, I was, my, so my um, younger sister works here and she's in charge of our player development department. And so we were talking the other day and she was saying how, 
you know, it's like the thing, the things that you do for trying to attract that non-local person, you have to work a little bit harder to get there, mm-hmm. to get their attention, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's so much else to do. Mm-hmm. And when you're in town for three days, it's like, you got to just grab them while you can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the efforts that we've put into grabbing those, that new customer has really been affected in the growth of the local customer that we get. Mm. And, and also, I mean, for the front yard too, the timing of it was really, really nice for us because, well, bad because of COVID, but nice because of sports coming to town. So, you know, it's like where we might fill up an entire venue with 300 people for Super Bowl because people are coming into town for that and everybody wants to go out and watch that. I mean, now with Raiders games and Golden Knights games, it's like people want to go out and watch those games. It's like every game night is an occasion, Mm -hmm. which is awesome for us because before you're going to watch that in our lounge where we can fit 80 people mm-hmm. pre you know at 100% occupancy and now we have a venue you know a venue for 350 extra people yeah. to sit and watch those and and it's not um unusual that it was booking up mm-hmm. so yeah. that was nice that's really cool I want to pull on the thread that you kind of mentioned earlier about um you know marketing and if you're trying to attract that tourist customer you have like three days to just try to grab them mm-hmm. and like Vegas is kind of like the Broadway, right, of, of entertainment and hospitality and casino gaming. You have, like, everything that's going on in the Strip, and they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to try and grab an overlapping customer set. And you guys probably have, you know, a smaller budget than you know, stations or win or whatever. How do you think about constructing effective marketing and using design to do that? Like, how much is, like, science and how much is experimentation just kind of hoping something works or do you feel like you know your customer and you're able to really like calibrate finely yeah and and it's true you know when I mean I I don't know what the budget is of the people on the strip but I can tell you it's a lot more than I'm spending every month which you know and 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 it's just the it's just different like the way the way that I would market something is I don't I don't I don't need or I don't think I'm going to get like the bang for my buck if I'm buying like X, Y, and Z that you might see a strip property buy, mm-hmm. right? But but it's it's more strategic. Like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna buy the back cover of the, a, a newspaper or a magazine, like that is going to have to get so many more people in the door, and that's mm-hmm. probably you know and and so it it it's it, it's like my my dad always tells me like you can do whatever you want, just make sure it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so and so I'm like okay so. You know, for where we've seen a lot of success is with like social media and influencer marketing, mm-hmm. and then and then like the the interacting with with guests and emailing them. And you know, if you if you get an email from Ellis Island and you respond, it's me responding. Mm-hmm. And I think that that and and if you call to call, talk to the casino host, it's my sister. And if you you know, and our bar we have bartenders that have worked here for thirty plus years mm-hmm. and cocktail servers. And so I think that. You know, when you're looking at a lot of our marketing, it's like, like word of mouth marketing, obviously everybody gets a little bit of that, but we really rely on that. And, you know, for, if you work in the casino industry and you have an industry ID, we give you a free drink every day. Mm -hmm. If you're a taxi driver, you get a $2 breakfast every morning. So it, it, like, we really try and, and, um, like keep our marketing dollars where we can give things away to people who we know are going to be advocates for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also pairing that with like, you know, having or sharing things with influencers that we think they're going to want to talk about mm-hmm. and, you know, having, 
parties that people are going to want to post about and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, I, I guess that it's like we rely on, once we get somebody in here, we really want to turn them into an advocate mm, for yeah. Ellis Island. And that's not like, you know, that's not a very analytical or mm. data-driven process. But, you know, we do the social, we, we do the digital advertising that everybody does. We have billboards like everybody does. But it's like, how can we get people to continue talking about it? And and with social media, too, a lot of it is us talking to them mm-hmm. first. And if you comment, like, we'll respond. And if you do X, Y, and Z. So really making you th- – and, and looking at tourists specifically, it's like, how can we make you talk about us when you're not even in town yeah. to come and visit us right now? Yeah. Not And stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth here, but it's almost like I'm hearing – the Facebook ads and the influencer marketing and we were joking I came in I think a couple months ago and we were talking about Ellis Island TikTok mm-hmm. and you're blowing up on Vegas TikTok and I didn't know this but yeah there's some good stuff there yeah I'll have to check it out <laughs> I got deep in the weeds of TikTok for a little bit <laughs> okay. and I was like oh Front Yard I know Front Yard yeah, right? yeah. this game is awesome yeah. and I think what I'm hearing is that that almost lets you be more flexible than you know having worked in Penn Right, where it's like, we're going to send a mailing, you know, a mail letter to 30,000 people across the country. And you are very targeted of like, you know, we have their emails, we're going to market to them, you know, they've been here, they like us, right? It sounds like you're just more nimble and flexible because you can literally just hit go and make the change as opposed to having four meetings about it. Well, and the being able to just go is, um, while it is scary sometimes, Mm -hmm. it is so helpful because it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, we're, it's Christmas, we're running slow, I'm going to run Christmas movie nights every Tuesday in December. Mm -hmm. Okay, go, let's see, let's let everybody RSVP and, and, and it's like a quick decision that I get to make. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, I would be remiss to not mention like, you know, I've worked here for six years almost seven years now and I came into a very fortunate position where we had a huge mailing database of local and non-local people who really loved us right and we do tons of mailing we still mail to all of our local guests still mail to all of our non-local guests and so those are like all like it's kind of like I think of this wheel where it's everything that's going to get you if you haven't heard of us everything that's going to get you in the door is like my job and then everything once you're here like I'll do all that I can to keep you coming back but we do like our our mailing program is great the offers we give Mm -hmm. are great and that's a huge part of the puzzle that is more than just like you know in my advertising budget Mm -hmm. you know I have I have to ask do you do any like deeper analytics on that having been in literal casino analytics I'm just interested in like do you run you know why projections do you do any like cohort like is there anything from a data side that you do um, um so, so I look at I mean I, I'm pulling every day like or every week are all the new players that came from the day before mm-hmm. I can see where they're from and from that point of view so that can kind of um, that might adjust where we're spending marketing dollars like we get a huge um, huge bunch of the people who come in from the Midwest, which hmm. kind of makes sense. Like we're kind of more of a property that mm. you might find in the Midwest, and so yeah. people feel really at home with us. Um, and and for like our our ma- mailing system is all super data driven. Like it's based off of you know sometimes based off this, and we might adjust. And if we start a new mailer, like then it's it's just those kinds of things. Analytics is definitely something I wish I was better at, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know I have my data set that I look at every day and adjust mm-hmm. accordingly. 
It feels like, though, if you're building a culture and, like, you made this analog um, to Cheers, which mm-hmm. I, I really liked, right? Because it kind of encapsulates, like, more local, cost-conscious, like, friendly family vibe. And it feels like you're just, you just approach marketing differently, right? If you're, like, marketing to that customer who wants to come to a Cheers versus, like, I want to go to a bar at the top of the Palms or whatever, mm-hmm. it just seems like a different, it's a different value proposition for the customer and a different marketing strategy, too. Yeah, exactly. absolutely, yeah. absolutely, mm-hmm. and 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 I can probably like blame my fine arts background on my la- lack of yeah. analytics, but yeah. yeah, it is kind of a, a big part of the the change we've made is like, I don't know, like I think that a lot of the a lot of the um, things that I do before I before I like am looking and consulting like numbers and figures it's like okay well what would be the most fun thing that we could do for the people we know are going to be here no matter what yeah you know whether that's like an Oktoberfest event or some kind of like you know game day package or if it's a giveaway Mm -hmm. or if it's you know something that is you're not that you're really like when the when the the um like the the message in the end game is like how can we make these people super comfortable and, and have so much fun? Yeah. It just, that's like kind of what shifts it. Yeah. yeah. And oh, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> <laughs> go, 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 go. But I'll, and I, maybe to close, like, obviously you've been here so long and it's an art and a science, right? And I think you just know your customer and you've been here so long. It sounds like you really can tap into that psyche and say like, hey, we're small, we're nimble. We are going to run December movie nights every Tuesday. <laughs> And we are, and that's like, I just feel like that's going to be fun. And there's not, obviously, there's no data you can point to about that. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like, you know, that art and that science is very much present in all the decisions you make. Absolutely. And, And I do think, you know, one big difference between a marketing department or even an executive team at a larger casino versus us is I am walking on the casino floor every day. You know, like I... Can, I might see somebody's number on a spreadsheet if they come up on a report, but, you know, a lot of the time I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Like, you know, I can, I can put a face to a name, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that that's a pretty rare thing. And, and I mean, if I can do it, talking to my sister, I mean, she knows, like, the interests and family names and all of the stuff of all of the people on our, in our database, or at least once they're past a certain caliber. And so it's like that, that personal touch and I think that once they once they are like oh I know my casino host that's Anna like she's in the family you know it's just like that more familial like you know it's 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 like you're it's like you're part of it yeah you know yeah. or something and I think TJ you pointed this out but like like stations is very corporate mm-hmm. and I think they have the hosts and they have but it is a very it is a completely different piece, different. right? You yeah, walk in totally. and you can just tell. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 of course, like, the host is, is nothing unique to our property, right? Mm-hmm. Like, everywhere you're going to have a host, but it's it's probably not very often that your host is also helping making make the decisions of yeah. the events and, you know. And I feel like, like you could, and maybe something similar, but I feel like you can respond a lot quicker, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as the head of marketing, you if you hear, you get maybe you get one or two or three kind of data points, and you can immediately pivot that and say, you know, yes, we're getting a lot of people from Iowa. Let's market more in Iowa or less in Iowa, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on what you want. To I, you know, I, I think you're making a great point, which is maybe this isn't the point you're making, but yeah. uh, like if you're actually walking on the floor 
or you don't take take a step back. Like if you're really data driven, mm-hmm. then you have to wait for the data to produce itself to a certain extent. Stations ask to like wait for the data to materialize before it analyzes and makes a decision. If you're walking on the floor and like you do something, talk to Joe or he overhear this or talk to the bartender and like you, the feedback is just so much more quick, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to pull on the thread of kind of design language. Like if you think about fine arts and like kind of what that design language would entail versus a property like Ellis Island in the front yard. Like, how are they kind of different? And, and if, you, if you thought about, I don't know, have you ever got it wrong? Did you ever, like, come back, um, you know, maybe right when you started after you graduated USC and you're like, ah, oh, I learned this fancy thing and I want to try this out, and it just didn't resonate? Okay, yeah, this is something I, this is less design, more like I've just left college X, Y, and Z. I remember my first Halloween at Ellis Island, I was throwing our Halloween party. And and somehow it like got a more like, okay, we're going to throw a 70s party for Halloween. That's just what we decided to do. It was like, a, I think Halloween was actually like on a Friday that year. Like it was okay. supposed to, you know. And so we put together this 70s party and it was like, no one could have, everyone could have cared less. I don't know if it was, like, something that, you know, it's, like, not me throwing a party for my friends. Like, oh, wear an afro and, like, let's hang out and wear, like, your peace, you know, your peace sign earrings, whatever. Mm -hmm. No. It was, like, no one could have cared. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But then, I mean, and I joke that this is, like, such a full circle moment. Our New Year's Eve party this year was a big 70s party. And everyone was so into it. Like, I don't know. What changed? Okay, well, I think part of it was COVID, and I was like, if you're not going to watch fireworks, and there's nothing to do on New Year's Eve, you want to dress up, and it's it's fun to dress 70s, and it's so in right now, so that's what we'll do, and so we, like, decorated those whole thing, but, yeah, that was, like, I guess an example of where it's, like, okay, right off college, throwing a party is easy, like, blah, 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 and then, and then it was, like, okay, this is a humbling moment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know, but I'll just say, and maybe bouncing off of that a little bit. You know, you're in the, firmly in the millennial camp, and <laughs> having done analysis in, uh, you know, again having worked in casinos, we would start our age breakdowns at fifties, sixties, seventies plus, right? Mm-hmm. And so, being a millennial, has that ever caught? I think that's helped in a lot of ways, right? With like Facebook marketing and influencer marketing, right, in the front yard. Um, but has has that helped in any ways that maybe you didn't think of, or has that hurt where maybe? you struggle to get this thing because, you know, it's Vegas, right? And you maybe, you know, here's this thing that this 70s plus guest thinks of, and you as the millennial, you're like, I'm, I'm not sure I understand that. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think that that was something, like, getting in the mindset of the older guest mm-hmm. was something that I may have had a harder time with right off the bat because, you know, they're, they're more interested in, you know, to use New Year's Eve as an example, like we do four seatings throughout the night for a New Year's Eve party, and the first one starts at 4 p.m. And I'm like, why are you going to go to dinner at 4 p.m. on New Year's Eve? Yeah. You know, but then, but then seeing people come in and they're like, we love coming in early, and then mm. we can, you know, hang out, see everybody, say Happy New Year, and then we're home in time for the even like the nine o'clock fireworks, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so it's like those kinds of things, and also um, like giveaways. You every casino does this, where it's like on Wednesdays we give away X, Y, and Z. So just kind of paying attention to how people react when we give them X over Y, mm-hmm. right? So like for for Christmas we gave away these really cute like Christmas cookie jars, which. 
who would have thought that we could give away 500 cookie jars, but they were People obsessed with them, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's that kind of stuff and just kind of being receptive to, okay, you really like that? I'll give you yeah. more of that, right? Yeah. And then on the millennial side of things, I think that a really big part of like what I was trying to do is get a younger person in the door because I'm not, I'm not trying to get like every 21 year old in town to come here, but I know that if I try and market to like that late twenties, mid thirties kind of person, I'm going to steal a little bit of the, the 40 year old market. And then mm -hmm. the average age of the customer, which is probably, you know, like 50 to 65 is kind of shifting a little. And then you have more people who are going to want to come back because they can do X, Y, and Z here. And the price point is lower mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And I think that a lot of that for me was really event driven. I love throwing events. Um, mostly because it's like, okay, I spent this much money on this, I did this, this, and this, and this is how many people came, right? It's like a, a quick reward, mm -hmm. where with a lot of other stuff with marketing, it's like, okay, you're kind of putting layers on a cake, and then at the end of the year, you see what all of your efforts did, or at the yeah. end of the quarter, or what have you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that first point you're making about the cookie jars, <laughs> or, um, or even the 4 p.m. dinner, I mean, that harkens back to just like being on the floor allows you to access the data more quickly versus if you were analyzing this it might take years to understand like why people would come to a 4 p.m. New Year's dinner right yeah. yeah yeah no that's really and I think there's maybe a hidden point there a thread maybe a, the tiniest start of a thread I could pull on but being able to you know you talk about maybe the size of the pie and in terms of like millennial land if I was like a pen or a stations you need to bring in a lot of people to make that ROI worth it but Ellis Island, right, you could get, you know, 200 people in the door, and that's a great day. And I think there's kind of a nimbleness in terms of speed, but also in terms of not like an outsized girl. You get, it, things can be done because it doesn't need to scale to quite dramatic heights mm. as it does if you had 40 properties. No, that's a really good point, I, I, and I totally agree. It, it, it does make... It does make us look really full if we have another two hundred people here on mm -hmm. property, right? And and the thing the thing is too, I I forget what I was talking about, who I was talking to this about the other day, but we were talking about like the casino, like how much are we specifically marketing our casino? And you know, of course, at Ellis Island Casino, we market we we do have a really great players club. We have the the pit is awesome. We have you know the five dollar tables and we pay three to two. But it's almost like we spend a lot of our time marketing the things that are going to get you on property, whether it's for dinner, for karaoke, for beer, for an event. And then that has just like naturally helped the casino um, fill up because, mm -hmm. you know, and and speaking like for millennials, right? Like the, the conversation in gaming is always like, oh, millennials never gamble, mm -hmm. right? But now millennials are old enough where we have a little bit of disposable income and we are going to be the people that gamble next, mm -hmm. right? Like we, you can't expect a group of, the millennial base when the top of it was like 25 <laughs> yeah. to gamble because and so now that you see millennial kind of creeping more into the like mid 30s it's like yeah they have a little bit of money and they're going out less yeah. like they're gonna play blackjack when they go out yeah, or they're yeah. gonna That's you know really sit funny. in a slot machine for a little bit longer because they have the cash yeah because i really so one of the things that we worked with at penn was they struggled to get millennials in the door Right. Yeah, and they were like, "Well, we got to do like different casino games. Like, we got to have like, uh, they like the more gamier games, and so yeah. it's like we got to do like Rock Band, yeah. but you got to pay a lot." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "That sucks." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm like, as a millennial, I'm like, that blows. Yeah, chunks. I like, oh, why would you want to do that? Yeah. Or like Pac Man, but it's five dollars a go, and yeah. you're like, why? You know. Yeah. So I think 
or the craps, right, where you hit the button mm-hmm. and it's the machine of craps, right, as opposed that to throwing the dice. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that point about disposable income is really interesting as you're like, being a millennial, I now know that, <laughs> yeah, when you're making 30, 40 a year, you don't want to go spend it on gaming. Yeah. But now that we have disposable income, I think that's just a super smart point. Yeah. I also think the millennials want like an authentic experience too. Absolutely. Yes. And, and sorry to cut no, you no, off, but I think that one really fun thing about Ellis Island and how it's positioned is like, you know, I, I, I love going to the strip, right? Like yeah. I, there, we live in such an amazing, like culinary and, and mm-hmm. entertainment destination. But if I am at, if I'm visiting town and this is like my mindset, mm-hmm. if I'm visiting town and I'm at the Bellagio, I don't necessarily want to sit down in a slot machine and play a slot machine that's loud and bright and da 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 da. But maybe if I'm at Ellis Island, which is like an old Vegas casino, mm-hmm. I want to sit down in a slot machine and play like an old Vegas slot or yeah. play a slot at this like old Vegas joint. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's like, exactly the point I was trying to get at. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like just what millennials are attracted to, they want to go to like authentic coffee shops or like have mm-hmm. authentic Airbnb experiences mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. things like that. Like if I come to Vegas, maybe I want an authentic Vegas experience. Right. Yeah. So I read this article, it was like a New York Times article years ago, and it talked about how restaurants are being designed for Instagram, like as a primary pur- mm-hmm. in purpose of marketing. Mm-hmm. And you see that with like the Starbucks unicorn drink. Mm-hmm. And it's very, you know, designed to be picture taken. And I just wonder, like, I know we, like the front yard looks like it's just very, sh- very nice, very sharp, you know, photographs well. Was that at all, like... Did you want people to take picture pictures of it, or was that just like it? We wanted it to look nice on its own, and then as a side effect, years later, um, it also photographs very well, which is good for the social media age we live in. Um, I do think. I mean, when we were building it, it was like, okay, let's build this indoor outdoor beer garden, mm-hmm. and then once we kind of had the structure, it was, it, you know, then it came like okay, if you look at the second story, we have, like, that giant beer sign. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, like, very photogenic, and it's positioned where you could take a nice photo underneath Mm -hmm. it. Or um, we have, like, the big neon sign of our logo. Mm -hmm. So there are, like, those specific places where it's, like, yeah, let's let's create that photo opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, when you look at... When you look at, like, Catch at the Aria, or if you look at, like, Golden Tiki, or that's becoming such a part of the restaurant experience, or to your point about the Starbucks drinks, like Black Tap, the milkshake place, you know, like, those photogenic and, like, almost out-of-control, larger-than-life type photo moments or or dishes are so popular. I mean, we even started promoting, we have a... 16 ounce prime rib on the menu Mm -hmm. and so it was like the idea came up to add a double cut so you're getting 32 ounces of prime rib (laughs) that's a lot i mean in a photo that's an obscene amount of prime rib and people get it to take the photo you know so just those little things and and you know it always does come up like we have we before covid we had a bloody mary bar Mm -hmm. and so we do these like out of control bloody marys and people take pictures of them it's just like Mm -hmm. people want to and and especially vegas people because you're on vacation Mm -hmm. right so it's like oh i went to this place and you can only get this milkshake here and Mm -hmm. oh i took a picture at this photo wall and I mean, that's that's all so fun, right? Because cause nothing is... I think that the coolest part of my job is creating things that people, like, back to the fun point, just enjoy doing and want to take advantage of. So when I see somebody taking a picture of, like, them with the beer sign or, or holding their 
double cut prime rib it's like this is something that's so cool that i know i'm really picky the millennial me like i'm yeah. very picky about what i'm posting on instagram yeah. and so if you're doing it i think that's so cool because mm-hmm. it's something you are really buying into mm-hmm. and i think there's kind of this interesting dichotomy i see where on one hand you are doing like very scalable things right like you have a cool monument and that gets taken in a thousand pictures and it ends up on this guy's tiktok for tw- you know 200,000 views right mm-hmm. And that is a great marketing, right? That is doing something that doesn't scale, that does scale really well. Mm-hmm. But then you also have these activities that I hear that aren't scalable by its very nature, right? You walk around and you talk to three people, right? And that is a linear use of your time. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe if you could just talk on that, but like how do you maybe try and delineate that time where you're like, yes, I'm running another Facebook ad and I'm looking at the ROAS and the, you know all of these metrics and it's you know a very scalable thing versus part of the charm and the value is, you know, shaking hands with the high roller, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that's such a such a great part of it is, like, we, like okay, we have the restaurants, right, but this is, this we're, like, in the casino business, mm-hmm. and such a big part of, like, casino is analytics, and every number I could possibly want is in this database that I can just pull from as mm-hmm. needed, and then comparing that to like the like what you're talking about is walking around on the floor and talking to people and I think that one way that we've been kind of able to like scale the individual conversations is through like honestly a lot of podcasts like this or on Twitter so if I respond to somebody who went to Ellis Island everybody who follows both of us can see that I'm interacting right and so then when I started doing podcasts like these Vegas podcasts it was like oh I sat down with Christina and she's the one who runs their Twitter account so if you need anything just add them on Twitter mm-hmm. and I will get like I still get if some if something has if there's a problem with somebody's room or if they had a lot of fun or if they want to know information about Super Bowl or if they want to like you know know something else they will mm-hmm. find me on Twitter I mean they and, and that's a great way to have that one-on-one conversation but it's like the words out that it's me that's responding, yeah, right? Yeah. Or like doing a doing a video where I'm walking through the casino with somebody who has a vlog because you're not really supposed to video in the casino, so mm-hmm. they have to have like kind of an escort. Mm-hmm. And so it's like me walking through and giving them a tour of the property. And I think that's something that when I started our marketing, I was like, I made a decision to do was like, I'll do any, sit down with anybody who has like a platform no matter how small mm-hmm. because... Because, one, I love talking about Ellis Island, and I can probably give them more information than, like, your average marketing director. Mm-hmm. But also, like, it doesn't matter. Like, your 100 friends are probably more impactful than the 100,000 people who are going to see an ad on a, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you, again, become that, sure. that advocate. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And, like, maybe bouncing off that a little bit, I know there's obviously, as marketing director, there's a ton of demands, a ton of ways you can spend your time, right? You have, like, the Facebook ads and the Twitter ads and responding to people and, you know, the Vegas TikTok and reaching out to influencers. And so, not to mention your actual job of, like, making ads and, you know, putting up new experiences for guests. Do you, I guess, how do you think about focusing your time on any one of these activities? Or is there kind of a selection where it's like, hey, I have to put... You know, maybe read it off to the side because I really I feel like my strengths are, you know, responding to people on Facebook and Twitter and shooting, you know, planning experiences or 
how do you think about just, I mean, I guess, siloing no time into those different buckets? Yeah, I think that that's something I probably really struggle with the most because <laughs> because I do re like I and and this goes back to having the art side of things. Probably if I didn't know how to jump on the computer and design something, I would have to delegate everything I need to design to somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, I have a great social media manager who is awesome and she does such a good job. So that's something I can like easily de- like. Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. And then, so it's just like kind of being strategic about who am I going to outsource projects to. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, if we're going to get to the root of my problem, it's delegation, <laughs> as I'm reminded daily. But, but, but it's just like having a strong vision for what I want and then being able to communicate that is something I'm constantly working on. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I know um, <laughs> uh, with my company, it's very... I'm constantly reminded about how much you need to communicate something mm-hmm. where I, I'll have a meeting and it'll be an hour and I'm like, I communicated 100% of this. Mm-hmm. And they come back and it's like, you communicated 30% of this. <laughs> and it's just like constantly we're like, we'll be two, three, four hours into something after like X number of meetings. And I will say like, okay, how much did you get? And they're like, I thought we were talking about this completely other thing. Mm. And you're like, oh, that, I get why you were so confused about that. <laughs> and so to hear you say that's just very um, interesting and, like, humbling. I'm glad yeah. uh, it's not just a me <laughs> problem. No, it's a me. It's, it's, a, it's an us. It's, it's a an we, everybody problem. Yeah. It's, it's a, a we problem. problem. <laughs> Even yeah. when we talked to Connor, I mean, that was one of the things he's saying. Is like, he's built this business and this yeah. practice for himself, and... Look, he has a very high, like, quality service that he maintains himself to. And has he, like, trust someone else to do that? It sounds mm-hmm. like you're kind of grappling with the same thing. Yeah, and, and there are, you know, it's like there are so many people who are so capable, and why can't I just delegate? You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> talking to myself in the mirror, like, just do it. Just yeah. do it for <laughs> one task. But, uh-huh. and, and, and people people will surprise you, right? Like, it's always, hopefully, it's it's always good when you are able to, just, like, come back and be like, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that saves me so much time, but... And I, maybe, and it kind of bounces off that, too, does, like, that time, struggle about time siloing and delegation, does that, how do you separate maybe the casino and restaurant business, which is famously a ton of free time in the <laughs> restaurant game and the casino game? How, how do you... Is there a work-life balance? Maybe how do you think about that? Or is it throwing it, you know, you throw basically Ellis Island is your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I it's it, I, I would never say that I'm, like, chained to my work, right? Yeah. Like, like, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy all the parts of it. And so, well, I mean, all of the parts of it is probably mm-hmm. hyperbolic, but... I never yes. feel I never feel like I'm like God. I'm I'm working way too much. I need to just like completely disconnect. I think that with technology and how I can answer an email any time of day on my phone, mm-hmm. like that's cool because I can maybe like you know work remote one day. Or and I think that I think that like the pandemic has kind of really taught everybody a little bit more about how to be more flexible. But yeah, I mean I. I guess I am kind of always thinking about work, but I like that. I like when I go to a restaurant and and and, I, and probably because my entire life I've been stealing menus from restaurants from my dad <laughs> or like you know taking taking notice of like oh what is oh it's you know what is this place doing or oh why why is it, why do I like this place why is this place cool so I think that from like a mind working and thinking about work 
perspective, like, I do enjoy that. So I don't really think of it as, like, oh, I just can't escape my work. Yeah. If that mm-hmm. makes yeah. sense, you know. It's, like, a good thing. Like, you're okay being so involved in it. Is that... Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and until I reach a point where I'm, like, whoa, I need to... <laughs> I yeah. need to completely zone out. Yeah. Go on a vacation or something, you know. Exactly, yeah. 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 Starting from USC, and then you move into... You come back and you're doing graphic design, and then you're starting to become a manager, and then now you're taking the MBA. Has there been? I mean, that's a crazy shift in life paths, right? Where you're like, I'm going to be a graphic designer too. I'm, you know, I'm director of marketing is pretty two two divergent career paths. So has the MBA taught you anything? And if so, how is that? How is coming to grips with that? I think to finish my poorly worded question. <laughs> I think that I'm really thankful that I, one, chose to go to UNLV where a lot of the lessons and and things we mentioned in class are like so casino and restaurant driven because Mm -hmm. they like know that that's the industry the majority of the classroom is in. That's super funny. And also I did the dual degree. So I have, I'm getting, I'm taking hospitality classes and I'm taking, um, like my business, my normal business classes. And then I get to have two master's degrees, which Mm -hmm. is like. Great brand yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and and learning wise, yeah, it's for a lot of things. I feel that you, you know, when even when you get into any kind of business or man- management, there are like a set number of things that you just like have to do for human resources or accounting or et cetera, et cetera, and you just do them because you know that you have to do them. And then taking the MBA courses, I learned like why I have to do that. Got right. It. I remember for we were learning about. Um, like accruals in my accounting class and yeah and I I had been faking that I knew what that was for years I mean I even called our our um our the director of the accounting department I was like you'll never guess what I learned yesterday and I've been faking it for years like you know and and so there's little things like that where it's kind of like connecting the dots yeah and also like the the um the people that I've met in the program have been wonderful and I love I learned that I really love like the strategic analysis side of hmm. business and that is like storytelling right like that's marketing in my eyes where mm-hmm. to like sit and read a case study and then just like talk about it and talk about what they could do and what they are doing wrong and what the, you know the, that kind of thing is very interesting to me and so that was something that I really found out that I enjoyed through the program. Yeah. And then the hospitality side is great. I mean, I took a class that was casino management. <laughs> I, I learned how to deal, I learned how to deal craps, which I, I mean, I probably couldn't do it now, but I don't even know how to, I didn't know how to play craps uh. before. <laughs> craps is so hard. It yes. gave me such a respect for everybody that deals and, and just little things like that. So that was really interesting and, 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 and such a valuable lesson to mm-hmm. be able to just like sit and talk about what goes into managing a casino. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And I guess, you know, we're kind of moving in that same direction. You know, the MBA, the Master's in Hospitality, right? We saw how you went from graphic designer to now director of marketing, which is pretty cool. Where, you know, if you could pick pick any path, right? Where would you think you want to grow to? Are you basically happy doing this because this is about as interesting as it gets for a company right like I could do this this is super (laughs) just fun to talk about but are there any kind of growth paths where you're like oh I'd love to conquer like this one day or um yeah I am really happy doing what I'm doing now and Mm -hmm. I and I feel like I have in the past 
you know, couple of years and it continues to widen just like the scope of opportunity and projects that I get to go into. And, and of course, it being a family business, I'm, I'm, I'm pulled into projects or into directions where I would never have been if I was doing marketing in, in any other industry or, or business or whatever, right? So, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, I love what I'm doing, but I'm excited at the possibility of, like, that continuing to grow. Um, and, and I am, like, really specifically interested in the, like, restaurant side of things. So, like, I would love to eventually open up, like, a restaurant or, or, or like, widen the, widen the scope of the restaurants and taverns that we have into more, like, experience-driven or, like, you know, actual dining versus gaming type places. So. This has been a great conversation, right? And TJ and I, with Loop and Point, we're still focused on, like, what is the loop, what is the point of leverage that helps deliver outsized results to, you know, you, the company, everything, right? We talked to Connor, and that was really interesting, and we talked to each other, and that was really interesting. And so, again, not to put words in your mouth, but I think it was interesting hearing you talk about both the things that don't scale and the things that kind of do scale for me, and kind of that, what I'm taking away is maybe that nimbleness and the value of, like, knowing yourself, knowing your customer, and, like, staying quick and sharp. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think if I could try to put a finer point on that yeah. is, is um, when we were talking about, I'm just going to make up words now, big data and little data. If your stations are win, you're going to look at big data. And big data takes time to farm and matriculate and analyze. Little data is the anecdotes and the conversations and the relationships. And that allows you to be nimble, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know finding um, and farming little data can be just as important um, as the big data and it also can allow you to move more quickly and with more kind of authenticity and understand your customer a little bit better. I love that. Me too. Me too. I yeah. like that a lot. Little data. I'm little data. <laughs> well, let me just Tia. I think the name of the episode is Little Data. Little data. Sure. Um, and so now we're going to put our button music here. Yeah. We still need to find theme music, and this is a long-standing hunt for Red October. Yeah. (laughs) But we'll throw that here. And then one kind of white whale I always want to ask is that there's this term I enjoy called yak shaving. And so it's doing... (laughs) The face Christina's making right now is what? (laughs) (laughs) And so much like shaving a yak, it's doing things that seem productive but aren't productive at all. My example that I, that my, poor, <laughs> my poor girlfriend had to suffer through was I'm trying. I was building a website and I was like looking into the different ways to build the website. And Tessa's like, just build the website already, right? <laughs> so why are you dicking around with the, you know option A or option B? And so I love asking, or you know, reading any productivity book is yak shaving in a way, right? Because it's you know you could just be productive. You could just do yeah productivity book. And so, I guess I just want to know, are there anything that you would define as, like, yak shaving? Like, what do you think is, like, seems productive for you, but, you know, when you maybe look that level, that layer yeah. deeper, isn't that productive? I, I think sometimes yak shaving is, like, a guilty pleasure for people, too. Like, making mm. to-do lists or responding to emails or, I don't know what that is in the design or marketing context. Maybe it's, like, reviewing, like, email lists or something like that. Yeah. Which, like, isn't really productive, but it has, like, the... 
It's masquerading as productivity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mine is, um, <laughs> for me specifically, because I know that they do work, mm-hmm. but mine is project management software. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <the worst. laughs> I, yes. I will sit there and I'll make, like, the most beautiful <gasps> task list, and they're all color-coordinated, and they link to the calendar, and, da, 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 and at the end of the day, it's like... No one can't, like, no one's, look, I don't yeah. even, I don't even reference this. I don't even reference this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, and it's, and, and it's, and so I recently heard about, okay, so to-do lists, people make them all the time, right? Yeah. And I heard that, uh, about this girl and she makes a to-done list. Oh. So it's like, instead of, instead of writing a list of all these things that you have to do, yeah. it's like once you finish a task, write it down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was like. Maybe that's my problem. Because I get so bogged down by the list of things that I have to do and then color coordinating them in my productivity spreadsheet mm, yeah. where I really should just be like, okay, I'm going to do this one task and I'm going to get it done and then I'm going to put it on my list and then I never have to think about it again. So I maybe that. I could frame that differently, but yeah. yeah. And then you're going to coordinate, color coordinate the to done. And then at the end of the well, year, I'll look at the whole thing. Uh, you know, and I did this, and this was a priority two, and a priority yeah. three, and this was urgent, so yes. I did that. Yes. That's fantastic. Project management software. Hmm. I've tried all of them. I mean, it's, like, I, I, I'm like, I'm like is it me, or is it you? Like, yeah. I don't know yeah. which one of us yeah. is failing the other, uh, but yeah. That's fantastic. It's awesome.